Hi, everybody. I'm Sunny, and this is We Gotta Talk, a live weekly digital talk show and podcast where we like to dig deep. Real talk, big topics. Now, let's dig in. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for being here for this very special episode of We Gotta Talk. We don't do this often, but this topic is big and juicy enough that this was the perfect time to do it. We have two guests today and our topic is infertility. So this is a topic that I feel most women and frankly men have some sort of experience with, whether it's knowing someone who went through a, a long period or longer than desired period of time trying to get pregnant or start a family, or it was your own story. I know that it is a very, very personal topic to so many women. So I'm really, really excited about today's two guests. We have Alison Prado, who is the host of Infertile AF. She is a Brooklyn-based journalist and a mom of two. We're going to talk about this in a second. Allie, you went through secondary infertility, IVF. You have a personal perspective, but you also feature the stories of dozens of people on your podcast and their own journeys too. And we'll shortly get to Elizabeth King. We can pop her up there too. Hey, Elizabeth, who is a certified fertility health coach, a master certified ICF life coach. And essentially she walks women and families through the process of starting their own families. So Elizabeth, we're going to dedicate sort of the second back half to you, but we're going to pop you on throughout as well. So um, I'm really excited that we have both of you guys actually, because you bring such distinct things to this complicated topic. Um, Allie, let's start with you. Infertile AF, first of all, such a moving podcast. I know it's one of those um, topics that can be really delicate for a lot of people, but through the, those first person stories, you really managed to get at the heart of this really, really um, difficult topic. So so tell us a little bit about the show. Thank you so much, first of all, for having me. I'm so happy to be here. And Elizabeth and I are friends too, so I'm so happy to be on the show with her. Um, but yes, I started the podcast in March 2020, or sorry, March 2019, um, because I had gone through a secondary infertility journey of my own. And while I was going through it, I felt so incredibly alone. I had, of course, a lot of friends and family, you know, around me, but I didn't have anybody who was going through what I was going through. I didn't even know what secondary infertility was. So I'll give you just a really brief recap. So I had my daughter when I was 35, um, no issues getting pregnant, had a pretty easy pregnancy. Um, I had something called placenta previa, but, and that just meant I had to have a C-section, but she was healthy and everything was fine. We didn't start to try for our second kid until a couple of years later. So I was like in my late thirties at this point. And honestly, and I feel like such an idiot saying this now, but I say it because I know other people are going through it too. I didn't know that at 35, your, you know, egg reserve quality really starts to diminish pretty rapidly. Um, I just thought, you know, I saw all these people in Hollywood getting pregnant and they're like late thirties and forties. And we lived in New York and people were having kids later. I thought we weren't going to have a problem. So when I did have a problem, getting pregnant, not actually not getting pregnant. Cause I didn't have a problem getting pregnant. I had a problem staying pregnant. So I had between my daughter and I did eventually have my son through IVF. I had four miscarriages. Um, you know, it was recurrent pregnancy loss. Now I know that it's called, um, I also had diminished ovarian quality. Um, and that was just an age thing was what my RE told me. So I was kind of in this world that I didn't know anything about. You know, I had, I knew some people who had had one miscarriage. I didn't know anybody personally who'd gone through IVF. 
I honestly thought IVF was when you wanted to have like more than one baby at a time. That's how little I knew about it, which again, I feel like an idiot admitting that, but it's true. That's what I knew. Um, so, you know, I started my podcast after I'd had my son and kind of the PTSD of it all had diminished a little bit. It's still there, but, um, you know, infertility is really traumatic and I wanted to share stories of people that were going through this in all different senses of the word. So I started the podcast with my story and told my story. And then um, the 134th episode actually came out today. So, you know, over the last two years, I've told hundreds of stories of men, women, you know, single parents by choice, same-sex couples. I had a transgender couple on recently. Today I have a fat positive fertility um, advocate. So I just really try to, you know, talk about all these different stories and hopefully people listening will know that there's something they can connect with and know that they're not alone. Absolutely. I think one common thread, regardless of our own personal experiences with this, I, I, I struggled to get pregnant, but eventually did. And I, I talked about this on Instagram today. It was nine months of trying at what, 31, which was technically still young, but um, the, the anguish that I experienced in even that brief period of time was so intense that I feel that I feel so much respect for people who have gone through extended periods and fights to have their, their own children and families, because there is a common thread of shame that I, I know that I felt mm -hmm. almost like my body was betraying me that I'm sure is something you hear come up time and time again, when you talk to your guests, right? Why is it so inextricably and really unfairly linked to our self-worth, like our ability to have kids? Yeah, I think it goes back to the fact that, you know, growing up, we are taught that that's kind of what you're supposed to do. You know, as women, you're supposed to kind of grow up and have babies. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about sex education on my show and the lack thereof. And a lot of people mm -hmm. talk about what they learned growing up. And my personal experience was like, don't get pregnant. It's so easy to get pregnant. If you get, if you have sex and you don't use protection, you will get pregnant. You know, we kind of had this scared straight, you know, thing drilled into our heads as, you know, young women and teenagers. And I get it. I understand why they did that. And it was effective because <laughs> we were scared to get pregnant. But the truth of the matter is it's actually really, really hard to get pregnant. And there's a very small window where it can happen. And a lot of things have to line up perfectly. It's, it's frankly a miracle when it does happen and it happens successfully. So, you know, we, we talk about that and, you know, I think that going back to your shame question, it's, you know, when your body isn't quote unquote working, how you've been taught that it's supposed to, you take, you internalize that. And, you know, we women are really hard on ourselves and, you know, you think that something's wrong with you. You, you wonder what you did, you know, should I have not drank so much in college or, you know, smoke that cigarette and, you know, it's all these things come into play and you, you start to blame yourself nine times out of 10. This is a, it's a disease. It's a, it's a medical, you know, there's a medical reason why this is happening. It's, it's not because of something that you did. So we need to stop blaming ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Is there, a, is there a common, um, let's speak to the mental health sort of aspect of this as people go through it, you have the double-edged sword of wanting your body to physically, obviously behave and react in a certain way. Then you also have this mental health component. And often you hear people say, the second you stop thinking about getting pregnant is when you get pregnant and you want to give them a black eye because it's like, what? And yet you hear countless stories of women who say, you know what? 
the year that we stopped trying was the year that we had kids. And I genuinely was ready to put that behind me. Do you find that there's some sort of mental component to this, this old wives tale of just stop trying so hard? I think it's, it's a, there's a complicated way to answer that. It's such a good question because, you know, as somebody who is struggling, I'm not anymore, thankfully, but, you know, going through their infertility journey, when you hear somebody say something like that, or like, just relax or just go on vacation, or, you know, my friend wasn't even trying and it happened. Those things are quite painful to hear because you know how hard you've been working and how much you've been going through mentally. Um, but, you know, that, uh, that being said, I do think that there's something that has to do with stress. And if you are able to lower your stress, and I know Elizabeth can speak to this a lot too, the mental health piece when we get to her, um, you know, there's something that has to do with lowering that, you know, cortisol hormone and, you know, things will work better. Um, you know, everybody's obviously very different, but, you know, mm -hmm. there, I think there is something to that to a certain extent. What stories have really resonated with you the most over the now 134 episodes that you've done? There's been so many good ones. Um, some of them are really sad. You know, there's some people talk about um, stillbirths and, you know, having to terminate for medical reasons, which is a pretty common thing that isn't talked about that much. Um, the guest that I was referring to who's on today, this woman, Nicola Salmon, um, who she calls herself a fat positive fertility coach and advocate her story really touched me because there's so much discrimination for women who are heavier or plus size. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the word fat, so I hesitate to say it, but she uses it. Um, um, and so, you know, it's just, there's a lot of fertility care that is denied to people who are overweight. And Nicola has a really interesting thing where she studied this extensively. And, you know, she talks about how, fertility really doesn't have that much to do with weight from the studies that she's seen. You know, it's obviously, you know, it affects people of all shapes and sizes. So that was, I thought that was a really interesting perspective. Um, I try to come at it as a host with no judgment. I don't always 1000% agree with everything that everybody's saying, but I think that's the beauty of this is that people are sharing their stories and, you know, everybody's story is, is worth hearing because you never know who's out there listening who might resonate with something or learn something or learn to advocate for themselves and make their journeys easier and better. If you were to want to continue to expand your family or, or, or advising like someone close to you about things they should try after all of the countless people you've interviewed, what's one nugget of advice that you maybe didn't have in the beginning that after interviewing all these people or speaking with them, you now do that you might kind of point them in a direction first? That's such a good question. I would definitely say find your people, like find your community, um, whether it's on Instagram or online. Um, you know, I have a, a membership community called Fertility Rally where we welcome anybody who's going through this. We have support groups and tons of content and events and videos. Um, but there's lots of other places out there too. Um, you know, it's, I would say one thing that I wish I knew then that I do know now is that these doctors are working for you so, you know, a lot of people will say, I don't feel like I'm getting enough good care for my doctor. I feel like a number or I feel like I'm in this conveyor belt at my fertility clinic. And to those people, I would say, you don't have to stick with that doctor. There is a right fit out there for you. So I would definitely shop around, um, know that you're not, you don't owe them anything. You're paying them tens of thousands of dollars. 
So if they're not answering your phone calls, they're not answering your emails, you know, maybe try to look for a second opinion or find a clinic or a doctor or a, a care team that is giving you the attention that you need because, you know, you're not only paying a lot of money for this, it's emotionally so taxing and you need to have people that are on your team that treat you like a teammate and not just a number. Yeah, we'll bring on Elizabeth in a couple of minutes here, but I do want to get to the issue of sec your journey with secondary infertility in particular, which, as like you said, it seems to be much more common, I feel like, than, than people let on. What was the biggest challenge with that? Was it the emotional sort of back and forth of having experienced a relatively easy first pregnancy? Or was it just the, you know, just the sheer sort of endurance it took to, to have that second baby? And what would you advise to women who are in that position, experiencing secondary infertility right now? What would, what would you say to them? Well, it's so, you know, everybody's journey is so different. For me, the hardest part, um, which I've talked about a lot on my episode, and then on my 100th episode, I had my husband come on and tell his side of the story, because even as a couple, if you're going through something, you have two totally different experiences. So for me, it was my relationship really suffered. Um, you know, secondary infertility is really complicated because a lot of people will will say to you, like, why are you putting yourself through this? You already have a kid or be thankful for what you have already, or, you know, at least you have a kid or at least this and that. Um, and again, those things are really hard to hear because as anybody going through this knows when you want to have a baby and you can't, it is, you're so sad and so depressed mm -hmm. and it's so hard. So, you know, for people to intimate that you're possibly like being greedy or, wanting more, you should be happy with your current situation. I think that was one of the hardest things that I went through. Um, just feeling, trying to explain to people that I'm not being greedy. It's because I love my daughter so much that I want to have another kid. I love being a mom so much that I want to have another kid. It's hard to explain to people um, if you're not in it. So I know that people listening who are going through secondary infertility can probably relate to that, hopefully. Um, but also the relationship piece of it for me was really hard. You know, my husband was an only child of two only children and he was perfectly happy with our daughter. And so was I, but I, like I said, I had that guttural instinct where like mm -hmm. I wasn't done and I would do anything to have another kid. And it was coming from a place of love and he didn't have that same exact desire. So when I had gone through the second miscarriage or the third miscarriage, he was kind of like, why are you doing this to us? And you know, I was so laser focused on having a baby. I kind of let our relationship slip by the wayside and we had a lot of issues. So, you know, it's, um, that was really hard. We went to therapy and we worked through a lot of it and thankfully we're still together, but that was a piece of it that I think when you're not on the same page as your partner, it's really, really hard. You know, I wonder if you're ever really not trying to shit on men here, but like oh, yeah. if you're in ahead, do they ever get it? Like they watch their own children being born sometimes and then they're like, you know what? This hospital bed's really uncomfortable. And I'm like, what yeah. even planet are you on? Um, you know, not to be downer, but I think what you brought up is a really, really, really important thing to sort of be kind to ourselves over to, because at the end of the day, you're going through a little bit more. We don't want to ignore the men, but it is a big part of your overall happiness is your relationship. So I'm glad that when you do these interviews, you're introducing the other person in the couple sometimes because I'm sure it's hard for them too, even though I like to kind of tease them about it. <laughs> yeah, I know it is. And I tell my husband, I'm still pissed off at my husband. I'm like, I can't believe you put me through that shit. Like I, all I went through and then you were like being the blockade 
you know, I had to convince him to do IVF. He didn't want to do it. And I'm like, I can't yeah. believe that's all I went through. You were also part of the problem, you know? Yeah, no, girl, I get it. I mean, yes, I get it. It's a very, very nuanced thing, bringing kids into this world and trying to bring kids and then the birth process and then raising them. It's just a constant checking in on like, okay, what do you think? Why do you think it? And how can we get back on the same page? So I love that you make them part of the conversation because they are part of it. So yeah, um, and I also want to just normalize the fact that it's it's hard on a relationship and it's okay to talk about that and it's okay to yeah. see I love that. We're big, big therapy advocates here on talk. So yay for therapy, individual couples. Let's work it all out. Um, yeah. Ali, stand by because we're going to have a portion where we bring you guys back on. But I wanted to bring Elizabeth back onto the podcast now, as we said at the top of the show, she is a certified fertility health coach, a life coach, a life coach, a doula, and a new parent educator. Elizabeth, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Let's lead off with a point um, that Allie and I had sort of dug into in the middle portion there where we discussed the impact of mental health and the whole conundrum of just stop wanting a baby so much and you'll get a baby. What has your research or work shown you about a correlation, if any, between our mental state and our ability to conceive? Yes. So it, there absolutely is many, many studies that do in fact say that it is related, which is why I'm such a big advocate around mental health and fertility, because you are 55% more likely to conceive if you are working on your mental health as well. And that re that correlation to Ali's point is really due to your adrenal system, your cortisol levels, and how that all works together with your reproductive system. Everything really is connected as much as we want to try to assume that it's not. That is why you hear those stories about, oh, we finally decided we're going to try more or somebody went on vacation and that sort of thing. However, if you have something else going on, whether that's you know unexplained infertility or is something physical happening like block tubes or fibroids or uterine issues or something, um, no matter how calm you may become and how much work you may be doing on your mental health, you still do need to have some sort of medical intervention. So that's why I always really encourage people to go see a fertility doctor when you are in the process. So you just get the lay of the land. You know what you're dealing with. You know, is there something physically blocking us from doing this? Or is it just a matter of, you know, figuring out our cycles, uh, balancing hormones, all of those things to kind of get you in, in the right place? I want to go back a little bit and discuss exactly what it is you do too, Elizabeth, because I know that when we spoke, you're the first I ever heard a fertility coach or a health coach related to you know, conception and family planning. This is yeah. a really, really unique thing that you do. So when would someone work with you and what do your clients look like? What stages are they at in their lives? So that's the beauty of being a fertility coach. Everybody comes to the table with a different background, right? Some are, haven't even started yet, but they want to make sure that their, their body is in the perfect health to do that. So we would kind of ramp them up to make sure that their egg quality and everything that they have going on from their lifestyle as well as their partner is aligned with where they want to be. So for women, our egg health, we we are able to bring up a new, I always kind of, it's a, a new batch of eggs essentially every 120 to 150 days. I give a visual of you go to the store and you get your dozen eggs, you get a new one kind of 
they're not brand new, but they can be affected by what you're doing every 120 to 150 days. So keeping that in mind, what you're eating, what you're drinking, your stress levels and everything from now are going to be what is affecting you later. So if you are not yet trying, you can start, you know, four or five, six months prior to get your body in the perfect, as perfect as possible, I should say, um, health state physically for your A quality. And again, as Ali mentioned, at age 35, there are studies shown that basically the eggs really do take a pretty steep line as far as quality. However, I'm here to say I had my babies from 41 to 44. There's hundreds, millions of women out there now over 40 that are having babies. So it is possible. Um, you just really want to make sure you're putting yourself in the right situation so that you have that quality. So you do not get into a situation of recurring loss. Yeah. Tell us about your own pregnancy journeys and the treatments or the, the procedures or the journey that you took to become a mom. Yeah. So I, I started my fertility journey at age 36 single. Um, I went to get my eggs frozen at that point. Cause I was, didn't think that I was going to didn't know what my future held, I guess. Um, and actually, to that point, went at age 30 when I got divorced initially, and the doctor had said, come back later. You're too young to do it. At that point, the the technology around the freezing process of eggs isn't what it is today. So the th freezing process is better. The thawing process is much different as well. So I want to educate everybody who's listening, who's considering doing their egg, egg freezing, which I recommend doing if you feel like you're not on a path to be with a partner. However, thawing eggs and thawing embryos are very different. So keeping that in mind and asking your doctor about that information will be really helpful in helping you make your decision as to do I perhaps do half eggs freezing and half embryos so that my chances later, if, if I am still single, you know, when I don't expect to be that your chances of having a healthy embryo at that stage may be better. Um, oh, that's so, interesting. So wait, let me hop in yeah, really quickly because I know sure. multiple people who have frozen their eggs. So if you're in a situation where you don't have a partner or like you're suggesting maybe they go to a bank, actually get an embryo made, put the sperm and the egg together and freeze those and that those have a higher survival rate when it comes to thawing rather than just the individual egg. Correct. So the consistency wow. of thawing an embryo because it's fertilized with sperm versus just this, the egg for, uh, thaw differently. Wow. Okay. That's really interesting and good to know. And I do know, again, secondhand that technology has changed drastically on that yes. whole process, even over the past five years. So what's some good advice for people looking into egg freezing? What are some sort of accreditations or things we want to be looking for when we pick a provider? So there's a lot of clinics that are popping up that really just focus on egg freezing, which, you know, they, they're really cute offices and they're kind of funky and all that kind of stuff, which is great. They're very inviting, but you really want to check out their labs. So the question that you want to be asking is what labs do you use for freezing and testing and all of these things? Because as cute as it may look on the outside inside of this office, you really want the quality of the that your are being frozen with and um, you're obviously going to pay an annual freezing 
fee to have them stored. And, and then once they do thaw, what their success rates of that thawing process and fertilizing and all of those things. So you're main concern at that point really is the labs. What is the success of the labs that are going through that clinic? Oh, wow. Okay. That's really interesting. Okay. Let's rewind for another second here and talk options about options for getting pregnancy. It's the first go around for a couple. They're trying, they've experienced a period where their doctor has said, okay, now we're officially calling you infertile. You're experiencing infertility. There are a lot of options and sort of steps that people usually take in a certain order. So what is usually the first alternative option that a couple might try for getting pregnant and then walk us through beyond that and when they know they should be transferring from one to the next? Yeah. So assuming that there's no major issues happening, the usually people go to IUI first, which some people know that as kind of the turkey baster essentially um, process, which is basically put this, they wash the sperm. So they are able to get the healthy sperm um, from the sample. And then they use a catheter to insert it through your cervix into the uterus. Um, some doctors feel that that's not an ideal situation because as much as they can put the sperm up there, they cannot guarantee that it's going to meet the egg. So um, that's the, the success rates on IUI are fairly low. They're about five to 10%, um, which is you know, not great when you have already been trying for a long time. But for a lot of people, it feels less scary than saying we're going to go straight to IVF, um, which is infertilization. And it's, I want to just also say that it's not as scary as people think. I have a client now who's actually just turned 47 this week. She said, if I would, if I have known it was this easy, I would have done it years ago. But in our heads, we see something or we read something and we think it's just this big, scary thing to do IVF when in fact, it's not that scary. Yes, of course, some people have bad experiences, but your chances of conceiving are much greater. It goes up to 60% if you're doing IVF. And the reason for that is because it's essentially they're taking the healthy egg, the healthy sperm and making that embryo fertilized in a dish to create a healthy embryo. And in some cases, they're even able to test those embryos to make sure that they are healthy before they then in turn transfer. And in some cases, they don't even need to do that. They'll do maybe a three-day transfer where that that embryo will be growing in the dish for three days, and then they transfer it back um, without being tested. And then you can still have a healthy baby. So that's generally the, the path that people go on with when they're trying to conceive and using artificial technology. Um, but not everybody feels comfortable doing that. And I always say to couples, only you know when you're ready to go to the next step and or you know if you want to do multiple IUIs before you go down the road of IVF um, and or how many rounds of IVF you feel comfortable doing. So the process of that, again, is you would take drugs that stimulate your follicles to pull up multiple eggs at a time so that they'd be able to retrieve eggs and then see what's healthy in order to then fertilize with sperm at that point. So the other thing that I think most people aren't aware of is the attrition rate on these experiences. So someone may say, I get um, 20 eggs retrieved. Now that's quite a lot. Usually that's somebody who may have PCOS or something of that nature. But if you get 20 eggs retrieved, that may go down to, let's say, 10 to 15 at most. 
um, based on just what's going to be viable and then what's fertilized that may go by half again. And then you may end up with only a couple. So it really, that attrition rate, most people aren't familiar with. And I just want to put it out there to have expectations set if they do end up going down the route of IVF. What do you tell um, clients or people you work with who are just having a really, really hard time, whether they're at the trying to conceive naturally or they're the IUI, IVF stage, multiple rounds of IVF? I think the common denominator, like Ali and I discussed, was just, just a general sense of being down, feeling ashamed, feeling exhausted. What are some yeah. sort of additional therapies or things that people can do to bolster their spirits during this? Because it's really difficult. Yes, I always say it's probably the most difficult journey you go through in your lifetime because you're not familiar with what you're getting into. You know, if you're buying a house or you're getting divorced, you hear people go through that. So going down this journey, and I'm so glad Ali mentioned about your relationship as well, because it's so common. Everybody has some level of either not being on the same page or, you know, I want to keep going and the other person wants to stop going. So really finding what lights up individually as well as as a couple and trying to make those times where you say, okay, Monday night from six to seven, we're not talking about anything around fertility. We're going to do something to create together. We're going to have fun. We're going to get back to who we are as a couple and really focus on that. And sometimes that again, as Ali mentioned with secondary infertility, it's even more difficult in those ways because you still have usually a toddler running around, right? So mm -hmm. you have the stress of being a parent as well as that. So finding somebody from the outside to come in to watch your child so you guys can have a date night and, and that sort of thing, but really find what it is for you that lights you up individually. So you keep your identity as to who was I before I became so consumed with trying to get pregnant. And everybody knows that it is all mind consuming. You saying that you tried for nine months, it's devastating every month when you see a negative pregnancy test, like whether no matter where you're at, you know, that feels like a kick in the gut every month and really kind of living yourself up again. Okay. When I get to that trigger point, something that feels like it's pulling me down, what is it for me that's going to get me? backup. So is that going for a walk with a friend? Is it coloring? Is it cooking something, looking up a recipe, dancing, something that you know, journaling, meditation, something that you know for sure is going to help you shift your mindset? I wanted to ask you some specific questions that I got from people. Um, you can answer, of course, to whatever level you're comfortable with. Some of them are kind of more medical sure. in nature. Um, mm -hmm. There's someone who submitted a question about embryo transfer, and she says she's gotten the recommendation. I guess they're in the process of doing that. She hasn't yet been implanted, but she's wondering besides prenatal vitamins, what you would recommend for complementary therapies to make sure that that transfer goes well. Yes. So really the mindset, again, to looking up, I always recommend um, guided meditation. So really not necessarily even focusing on fertility guided meditation until you're kind of right there. When you do get to your actual transfer point, I recommend doing visualizations around that. So literally picturing that embryo nuzzling into your uterus, finding its home for the next 10 months and really getting in there. So visualizing that, but leading up to it, acupuncture is very important. I know a lot of people feel like, oh, it's, you know, my doctor doesn't really recommend it. They don't because that's not really what they do. So they're not going to be the ones that 
get behind it all the way. However, there's thousands of years of study around um, acupuncture and Chinese medicine that show that the blood flow to the uterus can really help with the the transfer process. So there's two different protocols for acupuncture, one before you get your transfer and one right after. So I would recommend going the day before or the day of if you can, and then also within 24 hours of your transfer to do the other one that basically lifts your uterus up energetically to get that, as well as keeping your body warm, your be warm, not not heating pads, but you want to just make sure that your body is warm all the time, eating warm, comforting foods. So nothing that's shocking to the system. Okay, good, good. Yes, I'm a big fan of the acupuncture too. That worked well for us. Um, The other question was about Clomid, how long that someone could be on that before experiencing any negative side effects with the added question of, do you know of any negative side effects with people who have been on that drug for a while? That's definitely a a question for a doctor. Um, But in my hundreds of clients that I've seen, and I personally wasn't on Clomid, I was on a drug called Letrozole, which is kind of the alternative to Clomid. Um, It is known as getting the Clomid crazies because it does make your mind a little bit off. So there is some truth to that. But as far as uh, from medical conditions and how long you can be on that, you definitely need to talk to your specific doctor about that. Uh, everything hormonal related is just crazy. Oh I was just, I, I was talking about this on my Instagram stories. I went to my doctor today and she's a GP who just happens to specialize in hormones. And I said, God, if someone would have told me at 14, when I got my period, you're just going to have to deal with a lot of shit for the next, I mean, yeah. literally until you die, I would have felt a lot better because they dictate everything about our lives, whether or not we have children. And I just, that's my soapbox woman. I feel like we need to be better educated in the role that these things play, these chemicals play in our system. And it's the fertility window or the fertile window of our lives is just one small portion of that, but really they're in control of so much. Absolutely. But at the same time, if your hormones are at a balanced level, you shouldn't really feel so much of the fluctuation like you would on Clomid or something like that. So um, there's a lot of seed cycling. There's a lot of different things that you can do now, you know, even postpartum to get your hormones regulated so that you don't feel those ups and downs. And or if you have young girls that are, you know, starting to have their cycles and whatnot, if you see those big ups and downs, there that does mean that something is off with their hormones because it shouldn't be so drastic. But yes, you're right. It's like if it's not pre-pregnancy, it's after and (laughs) it's so on and so forth. Oh my (laughs) God. Okay. Let's, let's bring on Allie again. I wanted to have you guys together. As she said at the top of the show, you guys are buddies as well. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to kind of circle back before we sign off here. Um, Allie, I I wanted to ask you this because you have the unique perspective of, of having shared so many different stories. Um, Elizabeth brought up the role of the importance of our support system. What are some things that we can do or we can say to the people in our lives who are trying to have families that doesn't seem patronizing or overly anything. It's a really hard discussion. It's, it's really hard to be mm-hmm. saying the right thing, I feel like. So what do we need to stay away from and how can we show up? Love that you asked that because I do think this is so important. Um, you know, like I said before, saying like, well, at least you got pregnant if somebody has a miscarriage or at least you weren't so far along Those are kind of things that are really painful to hear as someone who's going through this, at least dot, 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 anything. 
So I would try to eliminate that from your vocabulary if you're trying to be a supportive friend or partner even. Um, you know, some of the great things are just, I'm here for you. You know, I love you. I know this sucks. I know how hard this is. Um, just letting people know that their feelings are valid. Um, you know, and it's, you know, Elizabeth and I, Elizabeth was actually on my podcast a couple of weeks ago and we talked about this at the time is like pain is pain. And, and, you know, it's not the pain Olympics. You don't need to compare your, what you've gone through to somebody else, you know, as women, again, we do that very often, like, oh, I shouldn't feel like I need support because I haven't been through as much as she has, but I'm here to say like, F that, like we, mm -hmm. if you feel like you need support, get the support because this is hard, no matter what you're going through. So you know, back to your point or your question, just saying like, I love you. I'm listening. I'm bringing dinner over. What's a good night? You know, little things like that, where you're not like putting the onus on somebody of like, how can I help you? Just saying like, I'm going to do this, or I'm just going to mm -hmm. come over and sit with you. And if you want to be in the same room as me, great. If you don't, I'll be in the kitchen, you know, like just being there for people. Um, you know, it's people just want to feel validated and know that, this, there's a lot of grief involved here and a lot of trauma and we just need people around us to support us and lift us up. Yeah. Like Elizabeth said, it's, it's a, it's a re trauma traumatization every month or every, how many ever IVFs, every time you see something that is, indicates loss, it's like, uh, it's really hard to understand Absolutely. unless you're the one experiencing it. Um, I hate to even ask this question because to define success is so different for everyone, but Ali, you've, spoken to enough people now to, I guess, have your own definition of what a successful infertility story is. Um, is there a way to quantify how many of the people that you've profiled were able to eventually have that family, whether it be through conception or adoption? When you look back at who you've interviewed, how do you define success on these stories and how many of them actually do end up with the families they still want? Yeah, another you've got the best questions. That's a really good one. Oh, um, so I would say most of the people, probably maybe like 80% of the people on my show um end up having a baby in some form or another at the end of it, whether like you said, if it's through surrogacy or adoption, embryo adoption, you know, there's so many different routes you can go down. But I do think it's really, really important to share the stories that are still in limbo, the you know, the people who are still in the midst of it too. Um, and also very, very important to share stories of the, you know, childless, not by choice community or the people mm -hmm. who chose to live child free, because oftentimes, you know, we look at this as the happy ending, quote unquote, means a baby. And sometimes when you're going through this, you kind of pivot and realize I can have a happy ending that doesn't involve a baby as well. So I definitely want to show, you know, I know that community feels a little bit underrepresented, the people that have gone through this and ended up not having babies, but having totally full lives and living, you know, just wonderful lives with their partners or whoever they're with. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, I think it's just important to, to share those stories as well. You know, a happy ending doesn't necessarily always mean a baby. That's true. In fact, we have someone watching, Tina, a friend of mine, and she said, um, as a woman that chose not to have kids, I also get shamed, which is, I, it's unfortunate. But like you said, I'm sure it takes going through an experience for some couples to realize, okay, this maybe isn't what we actually need to yeah. survive and thrive. So I'm sure that's a revelation in and of itself. I had somebody on recently who said, you know, she and her husband looked at each other after seven years of trying and were like, 
do we want to keep doing this and putting ourselves through this hell? And like, where's the ending? And she said, you know, we made a decision to choose ourselves and pivot and walk away. And we're so much happier now because we were just in the trenches and they Mm -hmm. felt really lost. It really is one of the biggest opportunities, if you can look at it like that, for self-discovery is asking your body to create life, whether it's 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 just you learn so much about yourself and lessons that you probably ways you don't want to learn and uncomfortable and painful, but it is really it's a big thing trying to bring life into the world and and hearing all these different perspectives on your show, Ali, or even the things you're saying as well, Elizabeth, is just, it, it causes us all to land in a different place than where we started, no matter what ends up happening. Oh yeah. I'm forever changed because of my infertility journey. I'm more empathetic. I'm, you know, have met people, created a business I never, ever, ever thought I would be in because of this journey. And, you know, I know there's so many people out there that have like, as Robin Roberts says, turn their mess into their message and, you know, created something or done something because of what they've been through, trying to help the people who are coming behind and just letting people know that, you know, we're here to make it easier and let them know they're not alone. Yeah. Unfortunately, one in eight in our country are suffering from infertility and one in four are suffering from loss that that's reported. So it's, you know, our the people in the Starbucks line with you and your neighbors, somebody knows somebody that's going through it and just having that awareness to be considerate of them, especially going into the holidays now with coming up and, you know, Christmas and all those fun things were, were very child centric. Be aware of those people around you that maybe don't have children and how they may be feeling um, and just be, be a little bit more sensitive to that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Elizabeth, tell us about some good complementary therapies besides the, um, you know, processes and procedures themselves to conceive. What we, we discussed, um, acupuncture, meditation, what are some good complementary things that people can be doing in general to prepare their bodies to have a family? So lifestyle nutrition supplements are kind of the things that you easily can, I always say, control in a non-controllable situation, right? There's so much of this that is out of our control, but those things we can control, as well as making your plan. So having something that is either from a calendar perspective and or we're going to try you know, this many IUIs before we get to IVF or whatever it may be that just having this kind of framework around it and or to your point earlier, if you are going to decide children are not for us, also having closure around that in a proper way that it doesn't come back up, you know, 10 years later that you had this regret that you didn't um, approach that. But the building your fertility team around you. So as Ellie mentioned, her amazing group called Fertility Rally, I have a lot of clients that come from there and go there and all of those things, because it makes you realize that your story is not as unique as you think it is. Somebody else is feeling the same way. And just that ability to have an an outlet to share really, again, comes back to your adrenal system, your cortisol levels. You can anticipate, I know I'm going to connect with these people. You can reach out to a coach if a group situation isn't something that's right for you. Um, there's fertility therapists that, you know, I just recommend asking them if they're open to sharing their story because something like this, feel it's really important that you have a dialogue back and forth with someone who has been there and can understand your experience. Um, 
there's so much that you can do. If you feel like you've really hit a wall if, with something, um, there's things like Psych K that can help you look into, is there some sort of limiting belief that you're not even aware that you have on your subconscious level that's preventing you? Um, there's, I mean, I can talk about all of that for a long time because people may have heard something as a child or seen something and they have this idea that pregnancy is bad or having a child is bad or, or something to that effect. So unlocking that sometimes can just open the doors to your creating of a, a baby. So there's a lot of things you can do. Again, speaking to somebody who's been through it, I think is the the number one thing to help you kind of get through to the next side to see where what direction is right for you. Can I add well, you guys are too, Sunny? Of course, so, yes. Yes, um, for sure. Everything Elizabeth said, I completely agree with. Um, one other really easy thing to do is if you're new to this world, um, if you feel comfortable going on Instagram, you can search for specific hashtags like TTC, which means trying to conceive, um, or, you know, miscarriage advice, or, you know, IVF journey, IVF success. Searching for those hashtags will bring up these accounts, and there's thousands of them now. And from what I've found is most of the people, 99.9% .9 of people who have Instagram accounts surrounding something or their personal journey, they're more than happy to help you and talk to you and connect with you and connect you with other people. So I would say reach out if you feel comfortable um, via Instagram, you know, slide into somebody's DMs. That's, I, I'm, I'm telling you, some of the best professional and sometimes personal relationships I've made have started on Instagram, which sounds really <laughs> creeper and stalkerish, but it's, <laughs> it's a good thing sometimes. 100%. Same. Uh, um, well, you guys were the perfect guests to really give, um, to really shed light on this, on this complicated topic. So I'm going to give each of you the opportunity to tell us where we can find you. Like we said, Allie, you're a great place to start. This is like a real soft landing, your show and your, in your programs to get familiar with the community that's going through some things. So tell us where and how we can find you. Yeah. Thank you again for having us and for showcasing this topic. And I'm so happy to be here with Elizabeth. Um, but yes, so my show is called Infertile AF. It's free, a free podcast. It's on all the pod podcast platforms. Um, if you want to reach out to me directly, you can go to Instagram, which is Infertile AF Stories. You can DM me. Um, you know, you can email me. All that's on there. And then Fertility Rally is the membership community that I co-founded with Blair Nelson, who's another infertility warrior who just had her first baby after five rounds of IVF. Um, so she's been in the trenches too. Um, but, you know, we have a website, fertilityrally.com. That's open to everybody. But then we have a membership portion, too, where we do support groups and we do events and curated content. And, you know, our whole goal is just to empower people, educate them, lift them up and celebrate them and just, you know, let them know that we've got their backs. We've been through this and it effing sucks, but we want to make it better for them. Awesome. Elizabeth, what about you? How can we connect with you? My website, elizabethking.com or a same Instagram, elizabethking underscore coaching. And to Allie's point, I think, Allie, don't you have an event going on tonight or is it tonight or tomorrow night? We had one last night. Um, but oh, was it last night? Okay. Rally Live is our big event that's coming up on um, October 23rd. Thank you for mentioning that, which is a yes. holiday um, thing with speakers and breakout sessions. And again, just giving support and education. Thanks. So if anyone's starting to dip their toe into this realm of thinking maybe they do need to start getting a little more into the weeds of fertility or infertility, I really highly recommend checking them out. To, they have a lot of great curated content for that. 
Well, thank you. And your coaching is great too. Like you said, so many of our members go to you and love you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having like, us, Sunny. It was great. Again, you guys, thank you so much. Yeah, I will be sending people people your way. So um, I just love what you're doing and the honest conversations that you're having in this space. So thank you both so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Bye. Bye. <laughs> uh, what a great episode, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I know this is such a big topic. And if you submitted a question and we didn't get to it, or we didn't cover your particular area of concern or issue, please, please do not hesitate to reach out to these ladies. I've already personally recommended friends to Elizabeth. I've already pointed friends in the direction of Allie's show. Um, what I really, really hope to convey during this chat was that this is so this is so common. There is support out there. There are women who have experienced what you're experiencing. So you are not alone, a little less alone. That's the goal in all the conversations we have here on We Gotta Talk. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you haven't done so, this is me begging you, plaintively begging you, please leave a rating and review. Those actually really help get these stories and get these interviews out to people who might find them useful or entertaining or helpful. So please do that. You can rate it right there on the Apple podcast platform. And that actually makes a huge difference. Thank you so much for listening to this episode or watching this episode of We Gotta Talk. We'll see you next week with more goodness right here. Have a good one, guys.